Good morning. I was informed when I when I came in this morning that I need to be done by 10:55. There's some soccer game going on at 11. I heard, and uh, I always knew soccer was a heathen game. 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Come on, not a good Christian game like basketball. So, but uh, if you were here earlier in the summer, you know that Pastor Paul kicked off our three-part series on discipleship. And uh, he defined discipleship in this way. He said, discipleship is taking the life and teachings of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and in community with others, living like him or, or growing like him. And he went on to talk about the fact that we are all called to a life of following Jesus. Regardless of who you are or where you've been, the call to discipleship is for everyone. And in part two, Pastor Lori talked about the cost of discipleship, reminding us that there's really no such thing as halfway in the kingdom. The call to discipleship is total. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's all or nothing. She said, we must be willing to abandon all that we gained security from in our past and dedicate all that we have to living the life that Jesus calls us to. Things that distract us, Things that hold us back, things that tempt us to take our eyes off Jesus, need to be put behind us. And then, we need to stop looking back at them. That was a mic drop moment. This morning, our topic is community. And I want to preface my comments with this. Nothing said today is meant to devalue the critical nature of your personal commitment to God your personal spiritual habits or solitude, and nor is anything in this reflection meant to minimize the gifts of those of you who are introverts. Where are my introverts out there? Okay. Maybe not so introverted. But those things, your personal commitment and your devotional habits and the gifts that are given to us are meant for a purpose that goes beyond ourselves. The Bible takes for granted the understanding of God's people as community. The big picture story of the scriptures, that is God's plan for the salvation of the world, is undertaken only through his people corporately. And it's God's presence that we see working throughout the Old Testament as he molds the ancient Israelites into the people of God who are then uniquely positioned to receive the Messiah. And throughout the New Testament, we see God through the Holy Spirit molding the church into his people, a community that will be the salt and light of the world. In Don Little's book on discipling, he says, according to Paul and Luke, discipleship is a corporate life in which everyone lives together in complete dependence on the Spirit. Such disciples trust profoundly in the love of their Heavenly Father revealed to them in Christ, and they in turn live lives of sacrificial love and service to their fellow believers and in their communities. All of this empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look around, you guys. We are in this together. I I had been in full-time ministry with Youth for Christ for 12 years before I came to work at this church and consequently became a pastor. And there were many things that surprised me about pastoral ministry. Uh, But one of those pleasant surprises was what a privilege it is to serve communion. And especially by the mode of intention, which is what we do here 
uh, usually. How many of you have done that? How many of you have been a communion server? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of you, right? It's a powerful experience. I found it to be very powerful to stand at the front as people come to the communion table to serve the elements, right? This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for your sin. And people come in all different states. Some come with tears, maybe, maybe overcome with gratitude and, or wrestling with some struggle and some with joy on their faces and some approach timidly and, and accidentally get a tiny little piece of bread that you can't get into the cup, you know, without dipping your fingers in. And every once in a while, a child will come and, and reach into the center of that bread and haul out the biggest chunk he can get around his little fist and, and dunk it, you know, with a skabloosh into the cup. And uh, that's the sound it makes, skabloosh. Uh, and kind of gleefully shove it into his mouth. And, and it's a beautiful picture. And, and I, I love knowing some of your stories and having prayed with you and for you at different times and for different reasons and it, and it feels like family. And as followers of Jesus, and as part of a community of faith that extends back into history and across the world, we come back to this table month after month and year after year, and we celebrate this story again and again because this is the central story of our faith. Jesus' death on the cross, his broken body and his shed blood His resurrection from the dead for us and for our sin. That is the story. The only story. Late last month, Luke and I traveled on a short-term mission trip to Spain for two weeks to work at a sports camp there. And we were teamed up with Christians from around the world. People from strange and wonderful foreign cultures like Chicago, for example. (laughs) And of course, lots of Spanish people. But, But guess what? They were also telling the story. And as we celebrated communion together, we were reminded that the kingdom of God is a community that is not dependent on other types of human commitments, on family relationships or political affiliations or national or geographic boundaries. We are bound to each other by the blood of Christ. And on that day of Pentecost, just two short millennia ago, when the church still numbered only 120 people, Peter stood up and he told the story. And when he did that, he spoke to the gathered crowd from the scriptures and he told them how the events of the day were fulfilling prophecies that had been spoken by the prophet Joel and how Jesus fulfilled a prophecy written by King David. And verse 41 in our text today says, those who believed the word, those who heard the story and believed were saved. They became part of the kingdom of God and they were added to the church. The story, the story of Jesus is the glue in the community of faith. In verse 42 then it says that these new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that look like in the context of community? Well first and and maybe somewhat obviously the teaching comes from the scriptures. The last part of Matthew Chapter 28 is known as the Great Commission. In that passage, Jesus says to his disciples, Go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And when you look through Acts, just like what Peter did on the day of Pentecost, you see the apostles teaching from the scriptures. From the Old Testament, of course, which was, which was their Bible. 
And we have the whole of Scripture to draw from. We kind of say, look, here's how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament Scriptures. Here's how he lived and acted and spoke. And when that teaching is spoken in a community of faith, something really beautiful happens. Last week, Jamie Mullen, uh, in his thank you statement for John and Barb Van Wicklin, described a Royal Family Kids Camp scene, and he said this, We watched 52 broken and neglected and abused children racing around on Carnival Thursday, gleefully launching water balloons at each other and munching on ice slushies. And as we witnessed an army of the church of all races and classes and ages and creeds and personalities join together for one glorious moment around a holy and pure cause, Doug said to me, I think this is how heaven will be. That image struck me. And while I think that it very well could be a good snapshot of what heaven is like, I think it also is a great illustration for the kind of teaching and learning that happens in a true community of faith. What you have there is a group of broken people hearing in sort of an academic understanding, right? Maybe from the front in a classroom or in, a, uh, in this kind of setting. They hear, God loves you. But they are also living, they're hearing these words while living in a group of people who are demonstrating love to them and who are demonstrating loving relationships. Or another example, right? We hear this principle. Jesus said we should serve each other in the same way that he served the church. And we hear that while being served in deep and meaningful ways or while serving alongside a brother or sister in Christ. And so Royal Family Kids Camp campers and others of us who recognize our own brokenness gather together regularly in this context of the crucified Christ community to tell the story and to hear from the scriptures and to be an example relationally of the things that we're learning and hearing. When we do that, we, of course, learn what Jesus told us to do. And in relationship... We learn how to do it. We get to practice those things. And in that relational context, I experience and I more deeply understand God's love for me and my need for his grace. And I begin to understand more deeply that I'm a critical part of this community, that I have an important role to fill in this new family of mine, a royal family, if you will. So it's in relationship that we live out Christ's teachings. Next, the passage says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. When I think about fellowship, I think of our Easter breakfast. I love the Easter breakfast when we're all together. We're there in the context of celebrating the story. We have this big meal that the whole church has kind of contributed to. And you have to be careful where you step because there's so many sticky-fingered little kids running around. You might squish one if you're not careful. And it's really good. And it's fellowship. And it is good. But there's also something, I think, a little deeper meant here. In John 13, Jesus is eating the Last Supper with his disciples. And he has just washed their feet. And Judas has just left to betray him. And he then turns to the remaining disciples and tells them that he's leaving. He's going away. And they're not going to be able to go with him. And then he says this. So now, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
just over a year ago now, in fact, it was 13 months to the day, as many of you know, uh, Nancy, my wife, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was, as you can imagine, quite a shock to us. We had some difficult days emotionally. And I personally struggled spiritually. And, and maybe struggle is not exactly the right term. It was a, it was a weird time for me spiritually. I wasn't, I wasn't angry with God and I didn't have those sorts of why me questions that a lot of people uh, naturally get in those situations. But somehow my normal routines just felt dry, you know. No matter where I read in the scriptures, it felt like I was reading Leviticus. And uh, no, nothing against Leviticus. For all of you Old Testament scholars out there, I know Leviticus is important. No matter how boring. So. Uh, but at the same time, in the middle of that, uh, you guys kept showing up at our house. And sometimes you were just there to talk or, or not talk. And often you brought really delicious food with you and groceries and sometimes flowers and financial help. And you cleaned our bathrooms and you took our kids' places and you gave Nancy rides to treatment and you prayed for us. And you continue to do that. <clears throat> and you brought hand-drawn encouraging scriptures and, you know, essential oils, things like that. Uh, we were overwhelmed we were, we were blown away by that. And I, I don't have the words to say a big enough thank you, so thank you. Near the end of August or early September, I ran into a retired pastor friend of mine who was here on campus. And uh, he, of course, asked how things were going. And we were still very much in the thick of things, uh, not having had a ton of time to process and uh, kind of taking, still taking things one day at a time. And so I told my friend where Nancy was in treatment, and I described to him how you guys have been caring for us. And as I ran out of steam, and standing in the middle of the Houghton College gym with a, with a sporting event going on, my friend looked at me, and he said, John, this is Jesus loving you through his church. I was stunned. I mean, I, I knew that intellectually, right? I mean, I guess I would have known that. But in that moment... I felt it. It was a moment of clarity for me. And despite my perceived spiritual drought, Christ was powerfully near to us through you. Jesus said, love one another. The Living Bible says it this way. It says, your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And in powerful and very specific ways, God used you to answer prayers that we didn't know how to pray. And to meet needs sometimes before we knew what we needed. And I think this is the picture of fellowship that the early church in Acts demonstrates. Both the Easter breakfast kinds of experiences and then these types of deep connections where we are walking through life together in such a way that we, you know, we reject our culture's demand for rugged individualism and, and segregation and, and the resulting isolation that occurs from that. And instead, we live so closely connected to each other that we are fully known. We're aware of each other's needs, and not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And we can act or be there to address them. We keep the story central to who we are, and we share that love with those around us. 
A community of discipleship is a community that is characterized by love. A community of discipleship is also a community of prayer. The early church spent time together in prayer, praising God, praying for boldness to be able to preach the word. And they also prayed for God's miraculous power to heal people. In corporate prayer, we express our dependence on God for everything that we need to be the people he has called us to be. And we invite the Holy Spirit to do his critically necessary work in us. In prayer, we express our faith, our love for God, and we celebrate his work among us. When we pray together, we submit our own will in humility to the will of the body. And we learn to put each other's needs first. When we agree in prayer, we strengthen each other's faith. And and I think at times, as we hold each other up, we are even able to have faith for those among us who are hurting. Praying with and for each other is a great blessing and a privilege. And our family has been blessed by God through your prayers for us over this past year. Let Let me close with a practical challenge or two. Hopefully it's practical. Uh, First, if you're not part of a small group, let me encourage you to do that. There are any number of Bible studies or small groups that happen regularly in our church. And these settings are fantastic ways to know and be known. And to be personally prayed and cared for. And to experience deep community. If you're interested in that, just let us know and we'll get you connected. Secondly, as a body of believers... Let's embrace the opportunities that exist here in our community because of the presence of the college and the academy. Henry Nowen had this observation about college students. He writes, While teaching university students who came from many different states and countries, I was struck by how lonely they were. For many years, they live in small rooms surrounded by strangers far away from their families and friends. There's little privacy and even less community in their lives. Mostly, They have no contact with children or elderly people. Seldom do they belong to a welcoming neighborhood or a supportive faith community, and only a very few know families where they can drop in anytime and feel at home. I've come to consider this situation in which thousands of young adults live as normal, but when I examine it a little closer, it's not hard to understand why so many feel rootless and even lost. Now, Uh, Maybe not all of the students at the College and the Academy are feeling rootless and lost. And I know that many of us reach out in, in awesome ways to these students. But we have this opportunity to be first a close knit community of faith and then to invite these folks to grow with us. Let's take advantage of that. Finally, as the youth pastor, let me tell you how critical this type of community is to the spiritual health of our children and youth. We are all enriched when our young people are brought into every facet of our lives together. And when they begin to understand themselves, not as people who will at some future date be able to contribute, but instead see themselves as a critical part of who we are right now as a body. I'm so grateful for the many ways that we are currently embracing young people and children. And I encourage you to get to know a young person that you don't already know. Look around. They're here. They're everywhere. There's one right there. Uh, Stop one today and introduce yourself. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would help us to be devoted to you and to each other. 
Lord, make us a community that loves to celebrate the story. A community characterized by love and by prayer. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.